In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... one person. Coming in from China. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will. We're going to all be great. We're going to be so good. This is a pandemic. The Betches Sup Podcast. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Hi, guys. This is Amanda. We're back. We are recording this episode on April 7th at about 1.30 p.m. We're talking about the Wisconsin primary in today's episode, in addition to lots of other things about voting. Um, obviously, things are changing quickly. The primary is on. They are voting. But the story, I'm scared to say anything, is set in stone with it. Um, so today we have with us Amber McReynolds. She is the CEO for the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition, the co-author of When Women Vote, and the former director of elections for the city and county of Denver, Colorado. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for being with us. I was so excited realizing we had you today amid everything that's going on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I would love to start off um, by just learning a little bit more about the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition. What is it that you are advocating for and how do you go about it? Sure. Well, uh, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, organization, and we've been in existence for the past few years. Uh, and really, our entire mission is to improve the voting experience for every single voter, regardless of what their circumstances are, where they come from, where they live. Um, whether or not they're working multiple jobs or going to school or any of those things. So um, what I think is what's, what's interesting about our work is we've been focused on this as a way to improve options for voters. Um, and what it has become in, this, in the middle of this pandemic is it's actually proven to be a more resilient uh, system and method of voting, um, even in an emergency situation. And so what we do is we try to help states, local local election officials, policymakers at the, at the federal level as well as the state level improve these processes and policies around voting by mail and voting at home. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit about your background? I'm curious about how you became either personally or professionally invested in this. I know as the director for elections of Denver, you had a huge hand in designing Colorado's uh, vote by mail system, which is, is pretty popular. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Sure. Yeah, I was an election official for 14 years and served as director of elections for seven years. And in that time as as uh, director of elections, we uh, redesigned and rewrote our policies and laws in Colorado um, to accommodate and make the, the process easier for voters. And, you know, it was a it was interesting because it was a local group of us, of very few of us that sort of designed this process and when it's not technically vote by mail necessarily, but it's it's more that we mail a ballot out to every elector, and then you have multitude of ways to return it, whether you're mailing it back or dropping it off in person, or you can go to any vote center. And so we, we in addition to creating the mailed out process, we also created an infrastructure of vote centers where voters can go to any location. They can register to vote the same day as the election. They can vote in person if they want. They can use the drive up, drop off uh, to drop off their mail ballot if they want. Um, and, and Denver, even, we had uh, also instituted what's called a mobile voting center 
and it was like a pop-up with a trailer that gets transported around the city on multiple different days. Uh, so we really looked at it as how do we improve the voting experience for every single elector, regardless of the circumstances that they might be presented with on the day of the election or before? Yeah. Um, so how do you think this pandemic has really sort of exposed the weaknesses of our electoral process? Our listeners, we've done a few episodes now about what's going on in Wisconsin. And a huge part of it is that, you know, a week of extra absentee voting was eliminated. Um, they were not able to get the state to hustle to send everybody um, a mail-in ballot in time. Um, I was wondering how you can sort of talk about that, how that's exposed the weaknesses that, that groups like yours have sort of seen and, um, yeah, what you hope we learn from it. Yeah, right. Um, I think that, you know, there are significant weaknesses in the way that it's always been done. And this sort of reliance on in-person voting on the day of the election hasn't served voters very effectively for a long period of time. And we see that with long lines and machine breakdowns and issues with poll worker, procedural questions, that kind of thing. And we've seen these issues percolate but we've never seen them at the scale that we're seeing them right now because of the pandemic. And the, the public health crisis has exposed the real vulnerabilities that exist in the voting process. Um, and it, and, it's, and it's, there's been a stark contrast between states that do mail a ballot to every voter and states that do not. And a good example of that is the fact that Washington and Colorado both had primaries in March. Oregon has one coming up. Um, Hawaii, uh, Alaska, Kansas, and Wyoming are all continuing with their presidential primaries because they mailed a ballot to every elector. And the only thing they've adjusted in that process is reducing the in-person options that exist because of the pandemic. So the resiliency that exists in those models, and California is another one, and Hawaii um, and Utah, is that the voting process can continue without there being significant disruption. The problem with Wisconsin also is that the, the, the sort of political decision-making was slow and, and there was unknowns on a daily basis presented to election officials and voters alike. And so the confusion that is created for everyone involved in the process is not, is not small. It's extraordinary confusion. And whenever you introduce that kind of variable in the election process where people don't know what to expect day by day, you're, you're creating more and more uh, problems with how the election is being administered. And it becomes nearly impossible for election officials to actually help voters um, engage with the process and vote. Yeah, I was just making that point that, you know, obviously when there's confusion, it dampens turnout just because people don't know what to do. It's not even just a matter of the decisions that were made. It's that if there's a lack of clarity around it altogether, people aren't turning out. That's right. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of 
gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. One thing I'm really curious about, and I'm not totally sure of myself, is I was hoping you could describe the difference between a mail-in ballot and an absentee ballot. Sure. Sure. Well, in a, in a state like uh, Washington or Colorado or Utah, um, and even most of California and Arizona and Montana, there's, um, in a state like Colorado, you're mailing out a ballot to every single elector before every single election. So electors, as well as election officials, have predictability in terms of what's, what that's going to look like. Voters don't have to fill out a request. They don't have to do a kind of a multiple step process. It's one step, we mail you a ballot. If you look at Wisconsin, they had a two-step process. And the problem is that as their election and this sort of process started to play out over about three weeks ago, you know, they started three weeks ago with maybe 120,000 absentee requests. That's gone up to a 1.4 million in the last two and a half weeks. And keeping up with that volume when you're a local election official, because they, they're not just mailing out a ballot, they have to process and data enter the absentee requests They have to make sure all of that goes in and then they mail the ballot. So it's actually more expensive. They they literally just likely spent more money processing all of those absentee requests and then mailing out a ballot than it would have cost to to mail every elector a ballot four weeks ago. So this is what I, I think is so important is when you have this sort of last minute surge from voters because that's what their option is. And, and you haven't planned adequately to be able to do everything, the election officials planned what they could, but the political dynamics changing daily is what created a lot of the issues that Wisconsin has seen. Yeah. And you mentioned the cost associated with things like this. I'm curious if that involves the federal government and if the federal government, what role the federal government plays in helping states to implement broader uh, voting by mail. Um, And the first stimulus package, uh, there was about $400 million appropriated for mail-in. And I know a lot of politicians are hoping for more. Uh, So what role does the federal government have in this? 
Yeah, well, the, the federal government, uh, there's a couple of different roles they can play, and they certainly under the elections clause have the authority to weigh in on federal elections. Uh, and they've done that over time, whether it's the National Voter Registration Act, HAVA, Help America Vote Act, or you a CAVA or you move on. They've they have they have been involved in, in elections uh, on multiple in, in recent examples. Um, they did not allocate they they allocated the money, but they did not put guardrails around it. So it doesn't okay. states are not required to spend it towards expanding vote oh. by mail or expanding vote at home options. They're just allocating money out to states to spend on pandemic related activities. So they, okay. they they have not actually put specifics into that. Um, but but just a couple of like simple low hanging fruit examples that the federal government could help on that they already helped some voters on is what happens for military voters right now. Military voters right now and overseas voters, they the federal government actually pays for their outbound and their inbound postage. So that is a, a federal indicia, um, basically postage paid on all of those envelopes that come from every state. What I've been suggesting is let's expand that to domestic voters where the federal government would help pay for the postage on the outbound side and the inbound side for every single voter who is either signed up for a, a mail ballot or is getting a ballot automatically. That would be something they immediately already have the infrastructure for. They're already doing for a subset of the voters and could be enacted pretty quickly. Uh, so that's just one example. Yeah. So uh, as we're talking about this, it all sounds like a beautiful idea, but I know there are, there's obviously reasons why this hasn't been implemented more broadly. Are there arguments against uh, more broad or even universal attempts at, at voting by mail? Um, and how do you respond to them? Yeah, well, first I would say that um, this has been a bipartisanly applied mm -hmm. voting reform. So state like Utah, state like Nebraska, and North Dakota, they've expanded their voting at home options in recent years. Um, this has not been a partisan issue up to this point. Uh, it's become partisan in the last week or so, um, unfortunately, because um, I think that one of the biggest resistance that, that we see when talking about this reform is a resistance to change mm -hmm. and policymakers that are impacted by it because they're on the ballot or they're, or they're running for reelection immediately think that if there's going to be a change from the way that they got elected the first time, then they might not win. And what I always explain to people is we have to focus our attention on election policy to be about who votes and building systems to support voters and engaging with that process. And it needs to be less about who wins and the outcome and, and what the uh, perceptions might be around that. Um, and, and, you know, we have to continue to focus on that uh, type of approach and making sure that it works for all voters in an equitable and an accessible and a secure and a safe way. So I'm curious about, you know, your dream scenario for November. We have a general election, tons of national races, just tons and tons of tons, probably literally tons. Um, what are your goals and your group's goals ahead of ahead of November? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in an emergency situation like we're facing, we need to expand all options for voters to engage in a safe and secure way. We have proven methods for how to do that. And the states that have the most resiliency are the states that actually automatically mail a ballot to every voter. And so, you know, my vision would be immediate action by uh, the political leaders within states and also at the national level to say, 
we have an issue. We have a problem with, with the pandemic. We have a problem with people being able to vote. Wisconsin is a great demonstration of that. And we have to act now and we have to get equipment ordered. We have to help states and local election officials scale up their operations so that they're ready. That's the ideal right now and right today. By November, I would, you know, my uh, goal and my vision would be that we see smooth elections around the country, that election officials are prepared, they have the resources they need to do what they need to do, and voters are voting, and we have the highest turnout we've ever seen because we've made the process more convenient, more accessible, more secure, and more safe for every voter to engage. What I don't want to see is what we saw in 1918 with the Spanish flu and the lowest turnout in American history. Mm-hmm. And that isn't good for Republicans. That's not good for Democrats. That's not good for unaffiliated voters. That's, that's, and it's terrible for our democracy. So this reform that we're talking about and making these options available to voters is for all voters. It's an American solution. It's a solution for all people in this country to vote. And and it doesn't have a partisan slant. It's simply about making sure voters can vote in a safe and secure way. Yeah, absolutely. And what can our listeners sort of do to move this this along if they if they feel strongly about it? And how can they learn more about the work you're doing with the, the National Vote at Home Institute? Sure. Well, our website is voteathome.org. Uh, we put out regular communications. So I think people signing up to get those communications is really important. Uh, we also have social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, following us at, at Vote at Home on Twitter and sharing the message. And frankly, if you already vote at home or you already vote by mail and you've had that experience, share your experience with your neighbors and your friends and your networks um, in, in terms of doing it. We also have a couple of partner organizations that are also listed on our website that are doing really good advocacy work across the country. Um, and we even have some partners that are specific to states. So depending on where people are, we can, we can definitely make those connections. Um, and then encouraging lawmakers. So both sides of the aisle, encouraging a, from the Senate to, to Congress, all the way down to state legislative bodies and governors, encouraging them to make sure that every elector in their states have access to a safe and secure and accessible voting method uh, come November. Great. That sounds great. Thank you so much for your time, Amber. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The SUP is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SUP at Betches.com. Betches.